Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. So I'd like to tell you a modern day parable. The tools in the toolbox were having a meeting. Mr. Hammer was in charge. He started speaking, but one tool spoke up and said, hey, we don't think you should be in charge. As a matter of fact, we don't even think you need to be in a toolbox anymore. Why not? Said the hammer. Well, you're super heavy handed. Always banging around, making a lot of noise. We're tired of you being here. Okay, said the hammer, but if I go, I think Mr. Saul needs to go too. Why that? Why him? Well, he's pretty sharp, but he's always making these cutting remarks. Mr. Saul spoke up and said, well, if I go, Mr. Screwdriver needs to go too. Why is that? Because he's so lazy. You have to turn him over and over again just to get any work out of him. Mr. Screwdriver said, well, if I go, Miss Sandpaper has to go too. Why's she got to go? Well, you know, she has such an abrasive personality and she's always rubbing people the wrong way. So all the tools are in the toolbox and they're arguing. The lid of the toolbox opens and the carpenter of Nazareth begins to take out each tool and to use it. The, the, the hammer, the sandpaper, the screwdriver. And he stands and he builds this beautiful pulpit. And there he proclaims the word of God so that the gospel could be proclaimed so that people could be saved and know the Father. He then returned all the tools back to the toolbox. Mr. Hammer said, well, we've got all these different strengths and different skills and gifts and weaknesses, but when we're in the master's hands, we can all be used for his glory. All the tools said, amen, Mr. Hammer, you just hit the nail on the head. Well, it is true. Everybody has different gifts and the different ways that they use them. What I want to tell you today is, is that Jesus Christ desires to use every single one of us to make sure that his gospel gets out to the world so that people can know the Lord in the way that you and I do. Last week, if you were here, we started this kind of idea of spiritual gifts. We've been preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 12 now. Last week, we talked about these angles that we can look at the spiritual gifts from. Last week, we covered the angle of spirituality and proof. In other words, these are spiritual gifts, and the proof that we have of them is that they help people confess that Jesus is Lord. We looked at the source. The source of the gifts is the triune God. The purpose of those gifts is for the good of the body and the glory of God. Then we looked at the scope of those gifts. There's many different gifts And then the particulars of them is that they're different ministries and different ways that those ministries are accomplished with different effects of those in the body. This morning, I want us to look again at two other angles that Paul gives us about spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. And I know you may seem like you're doing spiritual aerobics, up, down, up, down, I get it. Man, this is the Word of God, and I know no other way to teach you how to honor God's Word than when we are publicly reading it that we stand, because this is God speaking. Amen? So would you stand with me as we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. The Bible says these words, 
For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. I mean, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say the hand, have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, have no need of you. On the contrary. It is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Are all not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have the gift of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I will show you a more excellent way. You may be seated. Here's the first thing, another angle that we're going to talk about this morning. That is this, the valuable design of spiritual gifts. The valuable design of spiritual gifts. Just like your physical body is one body, so is the body of Christ. Your physical body is one, but it has many members, and they're not the same. And every part of your body and each part of it makes a difference in the whole body. And so, too, we are one body with many different parts using their spiritual gifts to perform duties to benefit the whole body. Now, throughout the New Testament, the, the body of Christ is synonymous with the church. Here, Paul goes a little more deeply with this concept, and here he's talking about the purposeful design of spiritual gifts, and that valuable purpose is that they have been designed to strengthen the body. So he does this, talking about the body, but he goes back to focus on the individual part of those body that make up the whole. So he gives us a couple of things about this valuable design. First, he says, every individual believer permanently belongs to the body of Christ. Every individual believer permanently belongs to the body of Christ. Look in verse 12. Paul says these words. Well, as the body is one, yet has many members, all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body. Here's the key. So also is Christ. One of the things Paul wants us to see here is that the body cannot be subdivided into several bodies. If our body is divided, that part of the divided body dies, and the rest of the body loses its function and its effectiveness. The same thing is here for us at First Baptist. One part of the body can't say that they don't belong and then go do their own thing. 
They will spiritually decline and we will lose some of the ministries and effectiveness that we once had. But then he says, but so is Christ. In other words, watch this. We can't separate Christ from the church. Christ is the church. You take the head from the body and something bad happens. On the earth, Christ was in a single body and now he's also in the body and the body is in Christ. So, verse 13, please notice these words carefully. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. We've got to do some work here. The church is formed as believers are baptized with or in one spirit. We have a theological and grammatical conversation here. The phrase there, I want you to turn your, your, your eyes to your Bible, because in verse 13, it says, for by one spirit. And you should have a little letter, you should have a numeral, you should have something indicating, maybe in fact your version may say something different, but it says, for by one spirit, we were baptized into Christ. Now, I need you to understand that in the Greek, that word in, E-N, is the Greek word for that. It is translated here in my Bible as the word by. But the word can actually mean by, with, or in. So how do we properly know which one to use? Well, context and the whole counsel of God's word would inform that decision. So stay with me. We know that Christ is the one, Christ is the only one who baptizes us into his body. He does this through the Holy Spirit. Said differently, this is not the Holy Spirit's baptism, but Christ's baptism through the Holy Spirit. So in other words, this could be better translated this way. For in one spirit, or better yet, by, but with one spirit, we were baptized into the body. You're saying, why are you, why are you talking about this, Pastor? Hang with me. Matthew 3.11. As for me, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he, meaning Jesus, who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. Now watch this. He, meaning Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus baptizes us into the body with the Holy Spirit. You're saying, I'm still not following it's okay, I'm building a case. This baptism here with the Holy Spirit is not water baptism. Water is just a physical ordinance in which is performed by other believers to symbolically demonstrate the spiritual baptism that already took place at salvation. Just as one is immersed into a physical body of water at baptism, so one will be immersed into the body of Christ at their salvation by Christ through the Holy Spirit. Here are a few things that means. This is where you should pay attention now. One, water baptism, listen carefully, no matter when, at birth, as an infant, as a child, or by anyone, a priest, a pastor, or a brother or sister, no water baptism ever saves anybody and should always happen after spiritual birth of salvation. 
Secondly, spiritual baptism by Christ with the Holy Spirit happens upon confessing my sin, repenting of it, trusting in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of my sins. That is the baptism by which Christ then baptizes me into his body, and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, and more importantly, you need to know this. It is impossible to have more than one baptism of the Spirit of God. When Christ places me into his body at salvation, through the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit, you and I are permanently placed in the body. Therefore, there is no longer any more need for me to be baptized with the Spirit again. Once you're in, you're in. Paul's point here is said this way. If there is more than one spirit baptism, there is more than one church. And that's not possible because there's only one head And that's Christ, which means there's only one body, which means there's only one church. And the way you get in that body is through Christ putting you in that body through salvation by the Holy Spirit. Jesus loves you so much, he not only wants you to know him, but he wants you to be part of him, his body. You may be using your gifts on the inside where people can't really see, or you may be using your gifts on the outside, where your gifts are known, but you may be on the inside or on the outside, but no matter what, I need you to know today that you're all part of the body if you're in Christ. I don't know if y'all have ever watched these things, but every now and then my wife likes to watch some of these police shows. They get the suspects in the interrogation room, and everybody's watching them behind that glass, and the interrogators are asking questions, and usually at some point, They ask the suspect if he or she wants something to drink. And the guy usually says, sure, I'll take a a Coke. So then they bring him this Coke, and they just keep asking him questions, and he keeps denying that he ever knew the person or was around the person. And then he takes a drink, and they're watching him take this drink, and then all of a sudden the questioning is over. And they're like, hey, you're free to go. So then they pick up that can, and they put it in a little evidence bag, Because now they know they have his DNA. And they're going to try to match his DNA to the crime scene. And you know, here's something I've found that's just humorous. No criminal must ever watch these shows. Because it happens the same way, the same time, every sneaking show. But here's what I'm telling you. The DNA is the common factor. Every cell of your body, every part of your body has a common unifying factor, and that's your DNA. There is one unifying factor in the body of Christ, and that is the Holy Spirit. And when you and I are saved, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us because we're placed in or baptized into the body with that spirit. That's the unifying factor. This means that you and I belong permanently to the body of Christ, and the Holy Spirit makes us one. Our backgrounds don't make us one because verse 13, he says this. He says, you've been baptized whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. Whether Jews or Greek. That means our ethnicity doesn't matter because of our salvation, we're one in Christ. Whether we're slave or free, our economics don't matter because of salvation, we're one in Christ. We're not united by our backgrounds, our ethnicity, our opinions, our education, or our political preferences. Please hear me. We are not united, any of that stuff. We are united by the Holy Spirit of God who brings us to spiritual life at salvation. 
And when the Holy Spirit is working in the church, then our church will be united no matter our preferences or our differences. We will all desire to glorify Jesus and to be used by this indwelling spirit. And because we've been placed or immersed in the body of Christ, each individual who has been saved permanently belongs to the body of Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27 says this, For you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have closed yourself with Christ. Ephesians 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. We are made full members of the body of Christ at salvation. Thus, we do not need to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He has no baptism to offer. It is Christ's baptism that we're given. Christ gives us the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, he says there, we were all made to drink of one spirit. We've been given the Holy Spirit, and we have been given that and made to drink of it at salvation. Just like we were immersed on the outside at water baptism, we have been fully immersed on the inside with the Holy Spirit at salvation. He has come inside of us and satisfied our spiritual thirst, and therefore we have been made to drink of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9 says, however... You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. The Holy Spirit coming in happens at salvation. There's no need for another indwelling. However, we do need multiple feelings, if you will. We need to continually give control to the Holy Spirit, yield to the Holy Spirit, submit to the Holy Spirit, not quench or grieve the Holy Spirit, That is the work of sanctification once somebody has been saved. Here's what I would say. Listen carefully. If we get this thing of salvation wrong, we will get sanctification wrong every time. What I mean by that is, is the denominational differences and this whole idea of what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit are sanctification questions. It's because somebody got salvation wrong. And if we get salvation right, we will get sanctification right. We have to start with salvation first. Every believer permanently belongs to the body of Christ because Christ is the one who baptizes with his spirit and places us in his body. When he does that, we get spiritual gifts that are be used now to bless the body. So that leads to Paul's second idea. Every individual believer persistently needs the body of Christ. Persistently needs the body of Christ. He says the body's not one. If the foot says, hey, I'm not a hand, I'm not a part, or the the eye says, I'm not a part of the body, no, no, that's not what's going on. It can't happen. It's impossible to decide we don't need the rest of the body. I mean, think about it. Suppose some part said, hey, I'm a foot. And I don't get to do all that hand stuff. I mean, the hand, he's always waving around. He's out front. He's riding. He's pointing. He's shaking hands. He's doing all that. All I get to do as a foot is just stay here in this stinking shoe. So since I'm not a foot, I'm not going to be a part of the body. Or the ear says, you know what? I don't get to see. I don't get to wink at people. I don't get to do all that eye cool stuff. I'm just not going to be a part of the body anymore. 
No, no, no. Every part of the body is important. Every part needs every other part. I mean, what good would it be to be a hand if you couldn't see what you were doing? Or what good would it be to an eye if you couldn't ever touch what you see? Every believer persistently, constantly needs every other part of the body. Beloved, we live in a society and we live in a culture right now that is pushing independence to its utter extreme. But the scripture teaches us not independence, but interdependence. We need each other. We have to have each other. We've been created that way. That's why Paul uses the analogy of the body. Right now, many of our people are in the hospital. Many people are sick. Some have been involved in car accidents. Some are having major surgeries as we speak, right? We all need each other. Your gifts are needed within this body, and this body needs your gifts. Paul then says every individual believer particularly contributes to the body particularly contributes to the body. Look in verse 17, he says, hey, if, if everything was an eye, where would the hearing be? If everything was hearing, where would smell be? But God's placed the members in the body just as he desired. If, if we're all one member, where would the body be? And then he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head to the feet, I don't need you. No matter how good an eye is, it can't smell a rose. And no matter how the good an ear is, it can't see a rose. So, so what if the eye just said, hey, I'm going to declare myself a free agent. I'm just going to do my own thing. The moment the eye said, hey, I don't need the body, and he jumps out, he's going to roll out, and he's going to rot. Why? Because he needs the rest of the body. We each particularly have a function and contribute to the body. Your gift matters here. And when you use it, your body, our body is healthy. And when you don't, we feel it and we know something is missing. That's why we've been making such a big deal about it. You have to know and then be able to use your gift because there are no insignificant gifts in this body. He's created the physical body where our parts contribute to the others. And he's created the church so that all members using their gifts contribute to the larger whole. I mean, know John Bunyan wrote this great work called Paradise Lost. He wrote this back in 1667. It's a literary work. It's genius, but it's also a very biblical and theological work. As John Bunyan was writing this book, he was almost completely blind. John Bunyan would wake up every morning at 4 or 5 a.m., and he would listen to someone, listen to this, Justin, he would listen to someone read an Old Testament for over an hour because he could translate it in his head. What? And then he would dictate the stuff that he wanted to be written down in Paradise Lost to his kids, and he did that till about noon. He would then take a small lunch and play his viola for about an hour, and then he would come back and keep dictating to his kids Paradise Lost until he went to bed that evening. He knew God, he knew theology, and he knew biblical languages. But listen, for the most of his life, he didn't have a relationship with a church and didn't even go to church. He believed in it. But he thought he knew the Bible better, was more spiritual, and was more qualified than any of the preachers. So he isolated himself. And as a result of that, this man who wrote this amazing work, some of you have read others of his books. Pilgrim's Progress would be another one. Listen to me. This man thought he knew so much and he didn't need the body that later in his life, he became blind and he became so bitter, he began to hate the very things that he was writing. 
Can you imagine what he could have done if he had been a part of a local church? Can you imagine the great teaching that people could have sat under? Can you imagine the young men and women he could have trained in theology and biblical languages? Can you imagine what he could have done in the body of Christ? But yet he knew God and he knew the Bible, but yet he didn't go to church. Beloved, it doesn't matter how gifted you are, how much Bible you know, how spiritual you are. It doesn't matter how accomplished you are. Listen to me, you and I still need the body of Christ. You need our church, and our church needs you. You need to contribute using your gifts, and we need the contribution of your gifts. And very quickly, Paul then says, every individual believer prominently matters in the body of Christ. Prominently matters. It says there, verse 22, on the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Necessary means absolutely necessary. You may think for just a moment that I don't really have the gift of preaching, so I'm not as important around here. No, 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 that's not what Paul says. Paul says, everything is absolutely necessary. Can you imagine if all I did was sit up here and preach, but nobody else did the rest of the stuff? What would we be? Well, y'all wouldn't be here today, I promise you. Because the people with the gift of helps to put all the chairs and stuff in here, they wouldn't have been here. People who used all the gift of administration and giving, they wouldn't have built this place. We all need each other. You and I are absolutely necessary. Verse 23, he says, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable. That's an interesting word. The word less honorable means ugly. Whereas our verse 24, our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving abundant honor to the member which lacked. He keeps talking about these parts of the body. He says that some parts, they seem weaker, and they're treated with more honor. I mean, think about it. Your heart and your lungs and your liver, they aren't seen, but they're incredibly valuable to you, and therefore you give them greater honor. If you go out and hurt your hand, you may or may not see a doctor. You have a heart attack, you're going to see a doctor. You know something's up about that part about your body because you give it greater honor, even though you can't see it. That's his point. Some of the gifts in the body, we can't see them operating, but we know they're super important. And then he says those parts of the body that seem unpresentable or they seem less like that, that he's really talking about maybe scholars think he's talking about our private parts. Those things, man, we give a whole lot of honor. We cover them up. We respect them deeply, even so much so we don't even talk about them in public. And Paul is saying, listen, no matter how you feel, whatever part of the body you think you are, you're incredibly important. You matter to this body. And as a matter of fact, you probably matter more than those people who have the greater gifts. My preaching professor used to say this. He said, young ladies need to cover up to help others avoid temptations, and men need to cover up to avoid nauseations. Nevertheless, we cover up those areas that are private to us or that we think are ugly. I mean, never would you say, hey, you know what? I'm going to cover up my fingers today, but I guarantee if my belly button was hanging out, somebody would say, Pastor, you need to fix that. We show greater honor to those parts, don't we? Verse 24 and 25, Paul says something incredible. He says, hey, man, God, all these members giving more abundant honor to those things that lack, but there may be no division in the body, but the same members may have care for one another. Some person may say, I've got these gifts and I'm more important. Others may say, I have these gifts and I'm not so important. 
Paul's saying that's, that's the point. That's what they were arguing about over in Corinth. Some were thinking the more elevated gifts like tongues and all that, they, they wanted those or prophecy and, and they just, everybody's just flocking to those. And Paul's saying, listen, when, when you start honoring those things that, that, that should be honored, you start honoring them more than the others and you put this other class over here and, and these guys are not important, it causes division in the body. He's saying that's what we shouldn't have. We should have the same care for one another. In other words, the same value for each other. Verse 26, he says, and if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. When we live as a body, when, when one is suffering, we all shed a tear. When one is honored, we, we all rejoice. And I don't know if you guys have these things, but I used to have these things. Has anybody ever had an ingrown toenail? Anybody in the room? Thank you. Amen. I pray for y'all. Do you know this? When you get an ingrown toenail, your whole body seems to hurt. I mean, my, my mind starts talking to me about the pain. My mind says, mm, that hurts. Don't do that. My eyes say, this looks really bad. It's, it's all gross and red and swollen and just pus is coming out of it. And my, my ears, they begin to listen to all that pain. And they're like, oh, no, your body's hurting. And then my hands want to start working to, to relieve it. And then my other foot says, hey, you can lean on me today, buddy. I know you're having problems. You can lean on me. And then the rest of the body says, yeah, we'll lean with you, bro. We got you. The whole body goes to work over one part of the body that's suffering then isn't it amazing? When I take that ingrown toenail out, it's like a party in your body. Yeah! Your your hands are like, oh, praise God. You start dancing around. Your your lungs start breathing. Your heart starts pumping. Your mind's racing because when, when the body is rejoicing, the whole body is rejoicing. That's what Paul is saying. When one is honored, everyone should rejoice. Every individual believer matters here at the church, and every church is made up of born-again believers, and God has called you to take your gift in this local body and just use it. You belong here. You matter here. Use your gifts for God's glory. Last week, we put up a link to how to do your spiritual gifts through a survey. And if you need that survey, you need more information about maybe how you can find that, please contact us. We want to do that for you. Lastly, and very quickly, let's look at this last angle, the proper desirability of the gifts. The proper desirability. Again, we're individual members that make up one body. And God has given each member at least one gift. But watch this. Some at Corinth were still not happy about their gifts. And they desired others' gifts because they wanted the praise that came along with it. Paul reminds them yet again that the Father is the one who gives the gifts. Look there, if you will, in your Bible. He says there in verse 20, and God has appointed. Up earlier, he says God is the one who sovereignly gives those gifts. To question why you don't have a gift and why somebody else does is really to question the goodness and wisdom of God. Their desire for gifts was so improper that he now begins to tell them how to obtain proper desirability of the gifts. And he tells them there's a couple of things you have to understand. First, there's a divine rendering of the gifts. God is the one who sovereignly gives the gifts. So he says there, has not God appointed This ball belongs to the Father. This is for his glory and not ours. So we have to understand that God is the one who sovereignly says, you get that gift, you get that gift, you get that gift, you get that gift. 
Then he talks about apostles. The apostles had a threefold purpose to lay the foundation of the church, to receive and declare God's word, and then to confirm that word through signs and wonders. But an apostle had to meet certain criteria found in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Therefore, it is necessary that the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So to have been an apostle, you had to meet three criteria. You were required to be someone who followed Jesus during his earthly ministry, beginning from John to the ascension into heaven. The candidate was required to have seen Jesus after his resurrection, and the candidate needed to have been appointed by the Lord Jesus himself to go and proclaim the gospel. So let me just help everybody right here. There are no more apostles because nobody alive today meets that criteria. Okay, I'm just trying to help you. With the close of the writing of the New Testament and the foundation of the New Testament church, there's no longer a need for the apostles. Additionally, no one today can meet those requirements. Think of apostles like delegates to a convention. Once the convention is over, the delegates are no longer needed. When the New Testament came to a close, now the new apostles are no longer needed. As a matter of fact, you study your Bible after Acts chapter 16, verse 4, we never hear of them again. Because they faded off the scene. Their purpose had been met. Then he says, secondly, prophets. We've covered that last week. The church was established on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. One thing's need for the apostles and the prophets was met, namely to proclaim the scripture and to verify the scripture, their purpose had passed. Today, now what do we have? Teachers. So now it comes to teachers. And then he touches on a few more gifts that we didn't cover last week. Let me cover one. He says the gift of helps, helping. The gift of helps, that Greek word literally means to take the burden off of someone and put it on yourself. So people who have the gift of help see somebody who's burdened with something and they say, hey, can I help with that? And they take the burden off of that person and put it on themselves. We have a whole lot of the gift of helps in this church. Can I tell you all that? And I praise God for it. Aren't you glad? Woo, man, praise God for the gift of helps. If you're wondering what your gift may be, start with helps. And if you don't like to help people, you probably ain't got that gift. It's just real easy. And then he says, this is really cool. He says there, and then administrations. Well, that's interesting because there's a misnomer about that word. Some people think that administration is organizing. It has something to do with that. But the Greek word here would tell us a little bit more about what it's meant by that. A better translation of that word would be the gift of leadership. Because the Greek word literally means to steer or to pilot a ship. It's the one who steers the ship in the proper direction. So an administrator, if you will, keeps the organization on task of moving in that right direction. They may not have to have a bunch of organizational skills to do that. But they can set the tone and know where they're headed. That's what we need. And we have that here in our church, people who lead us well. Nevertheless, Paul asks a question, does everyone have this gift or that? No. Are we all one thing or another? No. In other words, there is no one who has all the gifts, and there is not one gift that every believer has. 
But God puts all in the body so that what is necessary is there. Thus, we should understand that God is given to each as he desires, and then we should seek to line our desires with his desires. And when we do that, it keeps us from being divided. That being said, he's given us these gifts and he wants them to be used, which leads to his last thing, and that is there is there's a dutiful responsibility for the gifts. Verse 31, I want to help you with a passage of Scripture that has plagued people for years. <laughs> Not that I think I have the answer. I give you my humble, studied opinion. He says there, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. We have a problem because Paul has just said, don't desire the greater gifts. It's causing division. So then can Paul now, is he schizophrenic? Is he now saying, do the very thing I just told you not to do? Well, that can't be what he means. Again, this verb there, desire, in the Greek is a word that in the indicative, meaning just a normal verb, and in the imperative, meaning a command, written down, you could not tell the difference. In English, we use inflection. Hey, come on over to the house, indicative. Come over to the house, imperative. If it's just written down, you don't know the difference. So is he saying you earnestly desire, but earnestly like, like commanding you to desire greater gifts? Or is he saying this is something that they were already doing? I believe he's saying that this is something that they're already doing. In other words, what Paul is saying there is, but you are already earnestly desiring the greater gifts, and I want you to stop it. And the way that you're going to stop it is I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Now, here's some clues for you. 1 Corinthians 13 is not about love the way we do it at marriages. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the chapter on love, is how to use spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. I want to talk about ripping some stuff way out of context. You can preach on love all day long. That's good. But that's not what Paul was using it for. He puts it in between a conversation in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 on spiritual gifts. Why? To tell us the way that we should use gifts is love keeps no record of wrongs. So Nathan, when I know that you have the gift of helps and you don't help me, and I remember last time that you don't help me and I start to hate you, that ain't love. Love says, when I know you have the spiritual gift of helps and you don't help me, love keeps no record of wrongs, and I just continue to serve regardless of whether you serve me. It'll change the way you look at 1 Corinthians 13. So if you want to preview what's coming, that's what's coming, and therefore you can buy your tickets on the way out, and we'll get you here next week. So desire to use the gifts that you have to serve the body in love. And can I just tell you this, as the band begins to make their way up here, can I, can I just tell you all this? Let me speak to you from my heart just for a minute. Guys, I, I know that you have gifts in this body. And I know that God has uniquely gifted each of you to serve in this body for God's glory and for our good. Because I've served in, in numerous churches, and I'm telling you, I used to be in a, such a small church that I used to beg God every day, God, can you please help somebody do the music? Because I can't preach and do the music every day. It just it gets wearing me out. 
God, I can't do the student ministry at night either. I need somebody to do that. Lord, I can't lead every growth group that there is because I only have so much time. Lord, I need somebody to help me do the finances because I was doing them all day long. Please, Lord, help somebody clean the church because I do that every weekend with my family. God, can you send somebody to help me lock up the church because nobody wants to lock up. They just want to leave. God, I can't preach in here and then go to the nursery and come back. I can't keep doing that because I get tired of people. My family and I were served, but would you please send people to help me? And today I look out at you and I'm telling you, we have every gift in this body that that we need to accomplish what God's called us to do here at LaGrange. And and here's here's the truth. If you are not using your gifts, people are going to die and go to hell in LaGrange. That's how serious this is. God has called us to reach this community, and it is going to take every single one of you. Let me tell you something else since I'm speaking from my heart. Showing up every now and then ain't going to get it done either. You've got to be committed here. Like, can you imagine if your eye just said, I'll show up as much, I'll show up as often and serve as often as you do at the church? What would your eye be doing? What if your eye said, you know what? I mean, three weekends out of the month, we're going to go hit the trailer up and we're going to be out on the weekends and we're going to travel. What if your eye decided to take that mentality with your body? Where would your vision be? One weekend a month, you'd be able to see? Is that, is that what you want? Because that's what Paul is saying. And since I'm already saying it, y'all know me, I'm just going to be frank and I'm just going to say it. My wife's looking at me like, please don't say it. So I'm going to say it in love. We used to live in a culture to where church took priority over everything else. And today we live in a culture where church is just an option. If I feel like coming, I come. If something else is more important, if my kids are in something else or whatever, we don't. And so therefore, listen to me. Here's what's happening The Grange doesn't know that there's a great big God and they don't know about Jesus Christ because our church and other churches like ours have just chosen other things above the church. Can you imagine what would happen in LaGrange if every single person in this room was using your gift with reckless abandon? It would change LaGrange. A lot of times what we want to do is we want to throw resources when we really need gifts. And I need you. You guys listen to me. This this vision that we have to reach this community is not going to, I can't do it by myself. I don't want to do it by myself, Jeremy. We've got to all be in, man. And so as I look out at you today, I'm just challenging you today. Would you please think about your gift and how you can be involved would you make a fresh new commitment? And I, I'm not trying to guilt you, but I am praying the Holy Spirit would convict you. I heard this story back in World War II about this cathedral that had this statue of Jesus, and it kind of got bombed, and it knocked the arms of Jesus off. The soldiers came back, the American soldiers came back to that cathedral and they, they saw the arms of Jesus kind of laying around and they tried to put them back on, but they couldn't. 
Well, the soldiers went home, and as they went home, they noticed that in their own courtyard at their own church, somebody had vandalized the Jesus in their courtyard, and they had knocked his arms off. Well, so they found his arms, but they couldn't find his hands. They, they kind of did this crazy concoction of this kind of cement mixture and put his arms back on, but they couldn't find his hands to, to the vandals that had just taken his hands. And the pastor put a sign over his arms, hanging between his arms, and he said, we're not going to put any more hands on Jesus. Because church, we are his hands. And nobody will ever see his hands unless they see you using yours. And I'm here today to tell you, church, we need all hands on deck here. But I want to remind you that He has no hands but ours. So right now, do you know what your gift is and are you using it obediently? That's where we're at right now. Some would say, well, I don't know. Well, you can discover it. I challenge you again to go take our online survey. Elizabeth, Justin, myself, we can get you that information. But please pray that the Lord would show you and then just simply start serving. There are some people in the church today who are saying, I know what my gift is, but I'm not using it, Pastor. And I'm going to pray right now during this invitation that the Lord Jesus just convicts you. And there are other people who are saying, Pastor, I'm using it, and I want to let you know how proud of you I am. But there is one gift that you can't leave here without. And that's the gift of eternal life in the Lord Jesus. That's one gift I can't give you. That's one gift that nobody else here can help you figure it out. That's something you're going to have to do on your own right now. So let me just tell you how this works, man. The Bible says that we've all sinned, right? The Bible says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nobody that's never sinned. And because of that, the Bible says that what we get for that is that we're separated from God. We're going to die physically separated from Him. We're already dead spiritually forever separated from Him. And that's a bad place to be. But the Bible says that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The Bible says for everyone who sinned, if they, they feel a conviction of the Holy Spirit in their heart, and they go to God and they say, God, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. I am separated. I deserve judgment. I deserve the penalty of death on my sin. God, I deserve that. But you have said that you have a gift for me. And that gift is forgiveness. And you really want that from your heart then what you do is, is you take your life and you say, God, I was living this way, satisfying my own life, and I willingly just turn to you open-handed and say, Lord, please forgive me. Please come inside of me. Please give me this gift and make me right with you. Give me life so I can live with you. Give me eternity. Give me hope. Give me forgiveness. And the Bible says if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you confess with your mouth that you want him to be your Lord you would be saved from your sin so if that is anybody in this room today listen we're going to be down here 
There's going to be people who probably want to come and pray about a lot of things. But if that's you, especially if that's you, if you need the Lord, if you want to be saved today, you want to be forgiven of your sin today, have a home in heaven today, you're right with God, you come talk to us. We'll introduce you to Jesus. I wonder if you'd stand to your feet. Let me pray for you, and then we'll sing. Lord, I guess all that I can say to you right now is, is that we need you. We need you to know our gifts. We need you to know how to serve them, and we need you to empower us to do so. Please, Lord, hear our prayer, hear our song now as we confess to you that we need you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.